I, so I made an executive decision this week. doesn't happen often, occasionally. Uh, those of you that have been with us, we've been in a series uh, in the book of 1 John. We did chapter 4 last week, and we should have had one final message today in chapter 5. Uh, as has been mentioned throughout the series, it is a little bit repetitive, and I was reviewing chapter 5 uh, early in the week, and I felt a little bit as though it would have been more or less just a review. Um, and that, uh, I thought last week's message was, was a good place to end the book. In addition to that, I, I have had something else on my heart the last couple of weeks, and I've wanted to share about this. I haven't because we were in the series, but it's been weighing heavy on my heart. So I decided to go ahead this morning and do that. Um, I'm gonna, I, I want to share a little bit this morning about things happening in our country today, a little bit about the issue of immigration that's taking place in our nation. And uh, normally, <laughs> I, 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 I try to avoid and stay away from political issues as much as possible. I feel like it's a no-win situation. No matter what you say, you're going to lose. But, but uh, I'm going to ask you humbly this morning to hear me out, listen a little bit. Uh, I have three reasons that have compelled me to share on this, and I want to share those with you so that you know where I'm coming from. Uh, and then later, you know the policy uh, over a cup of coffee. I'm happy to engage anybody in conversation and, and hear out anybody's counterpoint to what I have to say. But So here's the three reasons I, I decided to share on this. First one is this, that I, there, there are times in, in, in history when I believe the church, the, the, the people of God, the king, kingdom people, uh, need to speak up. And in, throughout the Old Testament, that was the case. The, the prophets were sent primarily to speak into injustices. So Isaiah in chapter 1, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fathers, plead the case of the widow. I believe the prophetic voice is called to speak for those that have no voice. Isaiah says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Ezekiel says, the people of the land practice extortion, commit robbery. They oppress the poor, the needy, and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. Uh, there's many, many verses, but lastly, the one that was so famously quoted by Martin Luther King, let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. I believe this is one of those times. I, I just believe there are injustices taking place that somebody needs to speak up. And so I can't, I, I can't not at this point. You guys are the only audience I got, so sorry. Um, the second reason I feel compelled to speak about this is that a couple weeks ago, our Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, uh, invoked Romans 13 in defense of the zero-tolerance policy and separation of parents and children at the border. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I, I, I don't have any personal beef with Jeff Sessions. I, I don't know the guy. Um, I, I don't know anything about him, really. I, and I certainly don't know anything about his faith or his convictions or his beliefs. Um, and, and I, and I, want to, I would say this, I add this, that, that I am in no way qualified to even enter into a political conversation with him. You talk about laws, government, policy. Uh, look, he, he is the Attorney General of the United States of America, and I'm some dude in Oregon. And so I, I'm not even qualified to enter into that conversation. That said... Uh, if you're going to quote scripture to defend a policy statement that you've made, then I am qualified 
And I would say, uh, bring it. I'm happy to engage in that conversation with you. Um, and let me say this. I just got to say, my, my, really what's at the heart of this today is defense of the Scripture, okay? I, I'm sorry. I, I cannot stand up and let somebody just drop a proof text in on something and say, this is what the Bible says, and, and get away with that. I, I can't do it. I care too much. The third reason that I feel compelled to share about this, and I'm sorry, it's a little bit personal for me. Some of the uh, policies, the immigration policy, the travel ban, and others are directed primarily towards Middle Eastern countries, uh, primarily Muslim countries, but the this policy in particular is directed primarily towards our southern border and people that are attempting to enter our country from Mexico and Central America. Some of you may be aware, some of you might not, that I uh, serve with Vineyard Missions as the regional coordinator for Vineyard Church Planting in, of all places, Mexico and Central America. And so I uh, have a personal vested interest in what's happening and in the lives of these folks, I have uh, been in the last 12 months, in the last year I have been to Honduras, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and two different regions of Mexico, and I have at least a little bit of an understanding of what's happening there. I wish you could see that better, um, but that, that's a picture of three people. There you go, thank you. You can leave that off. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah leave it off. I like it dark. <laughs> they can't see me. Uh, the little gal in the middle there is Jenny Hernandez, and uh, she and her husband, Josue, attend the Vineyard in North Phoenix and lead the partnership for uh, Vineyard Partnership for Church Planting in Honduras. The people on the sides of her are her father and mother-in-law, Antonio and Esperanza Hernandez, who pastor the Vineyard Church in Comiagua, Honduras, and they are some of the sweetest and most gracious and welcoming people that you've ever met, just you know, they're those folks, you walk into their home and they just hug you and love you and feed you and just uh, just beautiful, beautiful people. Um, in January, we held a, a conference in Guatemala. It was a, a kind of a historic event as far as the vineyard and Central America goes because it was the first time ever that we brought every people from all the vineyard churches all throughout Central America together in one place at one time. It was It was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And I was so sad because Antonio and Esperanza weren't able to attend because it was too dangerous for them to travel from where they are in Honduras across the border into Guatemala that week. Um, 41 of the 50 most violent cities, large cities in the world, uh, and that's defined as highest homicide rate per capita, are in Central America and Mexico. Two of those are in Honduras. One is in a city where we have a vineyard church. Um, others are in El Salvador, where we have a vineyard church, Guatemala, where we have a vineyard church, and in 12 of those 50 cities are in Mexico, some in areas where we have uh, vineyard churches as well. Number five on the list, the fifth most violent city in the world is at our southern border, Tijuana. I was at the vineyard in Tijuana with our pastors there in May, March, I don't know, March. And again, just fantastic people. Just beautiful people doing a tremendous, tremendous work 
for the kingdom of God in situation that most of us would not. Um, I, I want to say this, a couple things, parenthetically. Look, the, the, the situation in these countries is complex, okay? Um, part of it is re- related, of course, as you are all aware. I mean, it's the obvious thing is the drug cartels are there. But, but I don't know. See, see, drugs are big business, okay? It's a lot of money to be made. And we know this here and in this country that when you have a lot of money, you do what you want, right? Even in a legitimate business in this country, when you have a lot of money, you do what you want. And I don't care if you're big pharma, you're big tobacco, you're whoever you are. you got a lot of money. You do what you want. And the drug cartels have a lot of money, and they do what they want. Uh, and I would say this, that they are not in the drug business per se. They're in the money business. They're out to make money. And so they'll, other forms of crime are involved as well. Recent years, human trafficking has become the number two most sold commodity on the black market. It used to be that drugs were number one and guns were number two. Guns are now number three, and people are number two. So that's an issue as well. In addition to that, of course, there's tremendous political corruption. And you go, well, that's somebody's fault. But the truth is that, again, from time to time, as we see it here, politicians are basically just bought off. And they, somebody comes to you and says, look, we'll give you a million dollars less do we want, or we'll kill your whole family. So you're, you're kind of hung out to dry at that point. You combine that with what is abject poverty. And if you've never been to some of these places, you have, we think we see poverty. You have no, you have no concept. I, I've been there, and I, I know what it's like for people to live in those situations. So the, the people fleeing these countries are trying to escape. And you're basically, you're a parent, and you're saying, okay, if I stay here, I run the risk of my 13-year-old daughter being kidnapped and sold into sex trade or my 14-year-old son being given a gun and conscripted into a gang or I get out. And those are my only options. And so it's a challenging, challenging decision. People don't necessarily want to leave their country, but they feel for their own safety that they have to. On the right there is the one they call a guapo. And the other two kids, some of you have met, are uh, the Maltese kids, Andreas and Anna Marcella. And uh, I've known them since they were uh, literally in diapers. I knew Andreas when he was in diapers, and I like to remind him about that. They call me Grandpa. Known him for 15 years, and their dad is one of my best friends in the world. Until recently, Nicaragua was the safest country in Central America. Uh, but that has changed in the last four months because of the dictatorship and the oppressive government going on there. They're on the verge of civil war right now. The kids are actually in process of obtaining visas to come here. They're going to come to Oregon because their dad doesn't want them to stay there. Because in the last three and a half months, over 200 people have been shot in the streets. So we protest here all the time. You know, people protest downtown, whatever, and then some cop tear gasses them or smacks them or something. We go, police brutality which is, I'm not saying it's not, but the reality is there people are protesting, and so they just shoot them. This is a report picked up by the BBC. Nicaragua family killed an arson attack day after ceasefire. That's June 17th. So this is the story. I'll tell you what happened here. This took place in a little neighborhood called Bayo Horizonte, which I've been to many times. It's a 
neighborhood in, in Managua, and this family is a pastor, actually. They own a three-story building. Very common in, in Latin America for people to have, they have a business on the bottom floor. They, this was, particular business was a mattress shop. They had a mattress store on the bottom floor, and then the top two floors, the family lives there. Also typical in Latin America is the whole family lives in one place together. So grandma, auntie, cousins, they're all, you know, so nine people living in this house. There was a protest scheduled for this neighborhood the coming week, and so these government hit forces came to this guy and said, hey, we want to put snipers in the top floor of your home so that we can pick off these protesters. And he said, no, you can't have my house. So they bombed it. And seven members of his family were killed to escape. But that's what's going on in these places, and that's why people are, are fleeing the country. Um, I just think as kingdom people, we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We talked last week about Jesus being incarnational and Jesus leaving the comfort and the comfort and the glory and the goodness of heaven and becoming a human being and entering into the pain and the suffering and the humiliation that we exist in. And I believe that we are called to be incarnational and to do that in the name of Jesus for others. Um... Look, it's a complex issue. I do not in any way profess to have all the answers. But I want to say this, that if you cannot empathize with the plight of people whose children are being taken from them, something's wrong. If your heart doesn't break over that, something's wrong. Our title this morning is Welcome the Stranger. I'm actually doing this backwards, and probably nobody will be here next week, but Next week, I'm going to do an overview of just sort of the biblical perspective on the treatment of the foreigner and the stranger. It's probably a little different than you might anticipate. This morning, though, I, I feel compelled to just do an exposition of Romans 13. Um, typically, I would begin with the Scripture, but I want to begin this morning with the, a quote from the Attorney General's news conference. I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. Sessions said, orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves and protect the weak and the lawful. So, so on a surface level, you see that and you go, yeah, that's kind of what it says. And I would say this, that he is not the first person ever to use that text uh, with that interpretation, that that's been going on by governments, primarily oppressive governments, but governments since the 4th century. Um, here's my thing. If you want to... Look, let's get to the bottom. If I seem a little intense, today I am. And this is why. Because as an ambassador of Christ, I care about Jesus' PR. To be honest, I care about the reputation of Jesus. And if somebody is going to say, Scripture says this is okay, you better be able to defend that. Because my thoughts are, if somebody doesn't know Jesus and doesn't know the Bible or anything about it, and somebody says, this is what the Bible says, it's okay for us to do this, and they think, well, gosh, I don't want anything to do with that God. I care about that. I, I can't not.
Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. Hello? For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, taxes, revenue, revenue, respect, respect, honor, honor. That's the text. Um, turn the lights back on, please. Sorry, I can't read. <laughs> I, can't just, I can't see. Uh, now you can see me. Yeah, it looks again at first glance as though his interpretation there is accurate. Um, I, I, but I, I want to mention this. I think it's worth mentioning that Paul is writing this under the authority of the Roman government. He lives in the, in the, in the Roman, uh, under the authority of the Roman government at the time, which is a, was a brutal government. I mean, let's be honest. They killed people. If there's anything uh, in the United States happening today, it's Disneyland by comparison to the Roman government. The irony of this, here's the irony of the whole thing, is that six years after he wrote this, Paul was killed for doing the exact thing that he wrote about not doing. They said, don't preach the gospel. He preached the gospel, so they cut off his head six years after he wrote this. You got to go, okay, what's going on here? The assumption is, based on this interpretation, if someone is in office as president, that God ordained that person to be there, so therefore we should obey any policy instituted by that person, because if we don't, we are not obeying the law and we are resisting what God has ordained. That's the interpretation. If that's the interpretation, if that's a blanket rule, I I have a question. We celebrated Fourth of July, Independence Day this week. (laughs) Yankee doodle dandy. Um, Shouldn't have, because we exist as a nation by doing the exact thing that this says not to do. We rebelled against the sitting government, and by inference of this interpretation of the text, we rebelled against God in doing so. And if you read your history books, you'll find out that that's exactly what the British said we were doing, was rebelling against God. And it worked for a little while. The people in the colonies said, that's true, we don't want to rebel against God. And then Ben Franklin and some of his buddies got together and they said, wait a minute, time out. This little island in the middle of nowhere is taxing this whole continent. That ain't right. So he called his buddy George Washington and you know the rest. I would ask another question. What does that mean when we, someone is born into a truly oppressive government? So, you know, you could just go to the far extreme and say under Hitler or under Stalin, people that resisted those governments, were they resisting God? And that's a fair question to ask. You know, one of my favorite theologians is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who 
was writing The Cost of Discipleship in his apartment in New York City, decided he could not tolerate what was happening to his countrymen in Germany, and so he went back and got involved in a plot to have Hitler assassinated. That is a moral dilemma that a kingdom person had to make. And I'm just asking the question, if this interpretation is correct, what does it mean? And and let me just qualify here. I am not in any way, shape, or form comparing our government to Hitler or Stalin. I'm simply saying if that interpretation is correct and you play it out, that's where it goes. I have another uh, text I, I want you to look at. This is Acts chapter 5. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We give you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. And yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. So the government was restricting them from preaching the gospel. They said, not going to do it. Luke chapter 4, this is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness prior to launching his ministry. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor because, why? It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be all yours. And if you read the text, Jesus refuses to enter into worship of Satan, but he does not disagree that the kingdoms of the world have been given to him and his authority is here. He's called throughout the New Testament the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness, ruler of this age, the ruler of this present time. Uh, So my question here is, who is in control of this world? How do we reconcile these things? go back to Genesis 1 creation, there's that brief little window of time before the fall when the world was the way that God intended it to be, and God gave man authority over the earth and over the animals, but he did not give man authority over each other. The reason is that God's plan was that there would only be one ruler, him, that God would be in charge. It was after the fall that people got selfish and determined that I'm better than you. My ideas are better than your ideas. My opinions are better than your opinions. And so, therefore, I should be in charge. And man has basically functioned under that premise ever since. That's post-fall. That's a fallen world reality. We see this most clearly in the book of Kings. God wants to be Israel's king. But Israel looks around and sees all the other nations and says, wait a minute, they have a king, we want a king. Why can't we have a king if they have a king? They have a king, I want a king too. They said, give us a king to lead us. Displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you, and then this is key, it is not... You they have rejected, but they rejected me as their king. When we have a human king over us, we are by default choosing to not have God as king. My, my point today is simply this. If it, we talked about it in the First John series. 
If Jesus is Lord, then Jesus is King. King Jesus. All hail King Jesus. King Jesus is all my all in all. Cindy remembers that song. Uh, do we mean it or not? Is Jesus King? If he is, then I would say this, that we pledge allegiance to him. And that any other allegiance we might carry would be subordinate to our allegiance to Jesus. It's interesting to me in the evangelical church in America today, we see a lot of the cross and the flag kind of being interspersed together. And you hear this thing about dual citizenship. I'm a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. And I would mention, by the way, that you don't hear that in other countries. There's no, Christians in other nations don't say stuff like that. You only hear that here. The assumption is our country is the godly one, that this is the one God chose. I would submit, if you are a follower of Jesus, that there's no balance. There's no, it's not, apple, it's apples and oranges. It's not apples and apples. If Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King, then Jesus is King. And the whole governmental system, not our governmental system, the whole governmental system, all governmental system is predicated on the fact that people rejected God. But our hope, our trust, our allegiance is in Him. If your trust is in this, it's all over. It's already done. There's only one place you can trust. He tells us that insofar as it's possible, we are to submit to government. That's true. However, I would say if a given policy or a given law contradicts or conflicts with our call to follow Jesus Christ, then we, like the early apostles, must say, I will obey God and not men. We live in a fallen world, and, and the truth is this, that in a fallen world, we need governments. We, we do, because we're fallen. And uh, without governments, there would be chaos. Look, the Attorney General is correct on that point. If the, law and order is a good thing. If we don't have law and order, it, it's chaos. We, the, the laws do need to be enforced. I'm not in any way saying they don't. God will use governments. God will use law and structure. He'll use worldly systems to carry out his purposes. Let's get into the text. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which has been established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I believe other translations have the English word instituted there instead of established, but it's time to do some Greek. The word is tassos, means to draw up in order or to arrange. Literally to arrange, to put in order. That's what the government's job is, has been instituted to arrange order. And so there is a, uh, a Mennonite theologian named John Yoder, no relationship to Les Yoder, but maybe, who knows. But Yoder says, uh, he has a great illustration on this text. He says the word tasso is similar to the task of a librarian whose job it is to keep the books at the library in order. And if you've ever gone to the library, you understand the value of that. Because if you're looking for a book, how many books are in the library? Well, it depends on what library you're at, but sometimes 
thousands and thousands of books, and if you just had to randomly find the book you're looking for, it could take you forever. But it doesn't take you forever. It takes you just a minute or two because there's a thing called the Dewey Decimal System, and you go and you go, this book is number 140.25, and it's on this row, on this shelf right there, and I can grab it and take it home because I know where it is because the librarian put the book back in the right place. That's the job. That's Tasso. It's to keep order. All authority originates from God. That's true. Any authority that anybody has originates from God. If you are in a family, you're the mom and dad, you have authority over your children. That authority comes from God. So you have authority. You say, it's time to go to bed or pick up your toys, and you have an expectation that your child will do that because you're the authority, although my oldest child never really bought into that. By the time she was four, she thought we were on an even playing field. She still thinks that. If you have a job, there's an authority structure at your place of work, right? You go to work, and if your boss says, I want you to work on this project or do this or deliver this or whatever it is, you do that. Why do you do that? Because your boss is authority, and you like your job, and you want to get paid. And if you do that, you'll get paid, and you'll keep your job. If you don't, you won't. That's how it works. So the authority has been granted, established, instituted by God, but how that authority is carried out is up to the person that the authority has been given to, okay? So to carry out my illustration, most of us as parents want to do a good job. We want to exercise the authority we have over our children to raise them in a healthy and godly way, but every now and then we read a story or we see a report about someone who has used their family authority in an evil way to harm their children. The same thing could happen at your place of work, your boss might, you know, every now and then I talk to somebody, my boss is the biggest words I won't repeat on the planet, and they made me do this and that and everything, and I can't stand them, and they're evil. They, I work for Satan. Think about this for a minute. So your boss is authority over your life, and this boss says, I want you to do something illegal. But the government, this authority also over your life says, no, you can't do that. So now you have a decision to make. Whose authority, both of which have been instituted by God, you're under, do you follow? Because if you follow this person's authority, you go to jail. If you follow this person's authority, you lose your job. But the reality is that authority can be used properly or improperly, even though it was given by God. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into... Oh, wait, 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 is that right? Oh, I was going to give you another example of Tasso. This brought, uh, so in Romans, or in uh, Acts 15, there was a dispute happened among the early church <laughs> over circumcision. Uh, guys were saying, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, regardless of your Jew or Gentile, you have to be circumcised. Um, some of the Gentiles said, hold on. Uh, wait a minute, that wasn't in the deal. That's, not, that's fine print. We didn't see that. So Paul and Barnabas went to sort that out. They were sent to, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute with debate over them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, the same word, Greek word, tasso, along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. So they were sent to sort that out, to bring it to order. That was their job. Um, see, it's not, it was never God's plan that we would have government anyway. God wanted to be king. He thought that would work. It didn't work. It's a result of being in a fallen world. So the fact is that governments like 
authority, other authorities can do a good job or a bad job. Now we'll get to verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Those who do will bring judgment themselves. The word rebel there is antitasso, the exact opposite of tasso. So it just means we don't resist what God has ordained insofar as that what God has ordained is good and right. The government's job is to do our good. It says that it's to uphold justice and to minimize evil. But when the government says we're going to do the opposite of that, they've already done the antitas, so they've come against what they were instituted for. And so by resisting, we are not necessarily doing that. If, we don't, if they don't uphold good, then I think we have no option but to resist that. And I also believe that's the biblical protocol that we follow. If you look at the entire council of Scripture instead of dropping a proof text out of the sky. I want to, so we looked at, I hope this makes sense. We looked at verses 1 through 7. This section ends in verse 10. The next three verses are key. Nobody quoted these. Verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outside except for the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And this is, this is it. The commandments, you shall not, this is the Ten Commandments. This is the law. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not cover, covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We won't take time to go into who our neighbor is today. We've done that before. And if you look at the Good Samaritan, you realize that our neighbor isn't the person that lives next door. Our neighbor is the person in front of us at the moment. I, I, I would just close kind of with this. So if, if, if anything in government policies or cultural norms in general is contrary to loving people, I would say that that is a point at which we as kingdom people must say no. And it does not matter who a person is, where they came from, or how they got here, whether they are male, female, transgender, black, white, brown, red, green, yellow, I don't care. We're called to love. Every other consideration is irrelevant. And if you find yourself saying, yeah, but, 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 but wait, wait, what about this, what about this? I would say, but what about you don't get it? Now, that does not mean you cannot have opinions about what the government should or should not do. That's our political process, and we should all engage in it. That's fine. But I believe that that is subordinate to us as kingdom people and our calling to live a life of love. And I believe what's been happening in our nation is not living in love. And so that's why I felt compelled this morning to share this with you. I would, I would add to that final thing. If society rejects a person, I believe that that is the very person that Jesus calls us to love. The outcast, the poor, the least of these are those that Jesus identifies himself with. Um, You guys bail me out? So, just, you know, again, in, incarnational ministry is ministry of entering into the pain and suffering of other people. That's really what Jesus did for you and I, and it's what we're called to do. And if you cannot put yourself in the position of these folks, 
if you do not understand the horror that they're trying to escape from, and if you cannot understand the psychological damage that's being done to a child who's been taken away from his parents, then I think you need to rethink what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There we go.